Welcome to Only Trying to Help, the podcast where we try to help you be helpful to other people. Uh, My name is Kate Watson, and I have a good friend joining me today, Judith Carpenter. Judith, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Thanks, Kate, and thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, so I'm Judith Carpenter. Um, As you can tell, I'm from the UK. Um, I live somewhere halfway up the country, but I'm originally from London. and I do a few things. I, I work in a hospital. I work with young people with um, type one diabetes. Um, and I also do some MI training. And I'm also a mum to three young people of my own. I love this. And Judith, the reason I wanted you to come on the podcast is, you know, I'm working on this series about um, helping the young people in our lives. And, and I'll be speaking to people who are parents to little, little kids, toddlers. I'll be speaking to people who are parents to teenagers. Um, I know that you, you don't just parent some young adults, but you also work with them professionally. And I I wanted to just hear your experiences. Like, what is it like when you are the, the full grown adult and your heart just goes out to someone who's maybe, you know, 22, 23 years old and and you want to help them in some way. And I'll bet that you could tell us there are sort of some age specific things to be aware of when someone's in that young adult time of their lives. Um, just any general thoughts come to mind before we get into the details of it? Well, I mean, one thing that springs to mind as I hear you speak, Kate, is I think no matter what age that young person is one of the things that's really for sure is they have this sense that no one else really gets them and no one else has ever been through it Mm -hmm. so one of the easy ways to sort of slip right down your own rabbit hole is to say oh I know what that's like and not give them the space to sort of be able to talk about what it's like for them which they often are embarrassed about or find hard to even talk about sometimes Kate they find it hard to even find the words to express what they mean We've already said so much. I mean, one thing that stands out from what you're saying is that young people often feel a little bit alone in their experiences. And if they're going to dare to reach out to someone, it's probably their friends. And I think think there's a lot that goes on, Kate, because, you know, there's that whole thing about not your young people not falling down the same holes that you fell down. You want to stop things from happening to them, particularly when they're your your people your young people yeah you know you, you want to do what you can to protect them and and keep them away from the bad stuff and and you sort of recognize that that's not possible yeah I mean I I I'm pretty sure I mean I'm not a parent myself but I'm around young people from time to time and I'm pretty sure that is a common thing whether you are watching a five-year-old child struggling at school, a 12-year-old child struggling in the, you know, sports, or a 22-year-old struggling in their first job, Mm -hmm. um, that often we're looking at a person and thinking, I have been there, 
And I don't want you to be there. I don't want you to have the same experience I had. But I think one of the things that may be different about this age group is you, you may have the least amount of ability to actually stop them from going through these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe once a small child, you have just a little bit more influence than you do for your young adult who truly is a, an adult building a life, living in the world, um, operating in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, and they're going to make mistakes like we all did. And we sort of have to let them. And what was interesting as I he's, was listening to you, Kate, is you know what, like when they're at your 22 or 23 year old, you still see them as your five-year-old. That's the thing. So yeah. part of you wants to go scoop them up and make it all better. And, mm-hmm. and, and of course you just can't. And I think it's hard to watch your kids hurt. This is speaking personally as a mum. As hard to watch your kids hurt or get hurt or get rejected or something, not get a job or something happen. It's really, it's really hard to stand you know, by the side and let and watch that happen because you want to take that away. Um, and you know you can't. So you're sort of you feel a little bit impotent really at that point. And you just try and be there for them and be kind and know that let them know that you're there. But you know, you know they're gonna go through it because when you went through it, so you know, and you know they'll get through it. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. Well, and when you say out loud to a person, I know you're going to get through it, what a vote of confidence that you're giving them. Um, And so there's something so lovely about that. Rather than here, let me save you, something Mm -hmm. beautiful about I know you can sort of save yourself. I know you can do this. Um, And and you're also speaking to just knowing your limits, right? Just knowing what's possible. Um, And and I'll bet that's a really big part of this puzzle. You know, Judith, earlier you used a word that I wasn't expecting and it just like, it hit me because I think I definitely felt this way when I was 20 years old or whatever, but you said sometimes they're embarrassed. And I, I, I grabbed onto that because I was thinking, I remember feeling like I can't ask for help. I can't tell anyone I'm going through this. How embarrassing, how Mm -hmm. embarrassing. And I'm bringing it up now because because you more recently said, you know, sometimes you you see them make mistakes and you want to yell like, please don't do this. <laughs> and I'm, I'm putting these two ideas together because I'm thinking here's a person who may be already programmed to be so concerned um, about their reputation and being embarrassed that then they're going to go make mistakes anyway. And probably one of the worst things we can do is laugh at them or shame them or say, yeah, I saw that coming, or I, I, I totally knew you were going to walk right into that mistake. How mm-hmm. embarrassing um, that if there's anything we can do to offer this young person some dignity while they're making mistakes, I'll bet that's really helpful as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, for sure, you know, and certainly when I think about the young people I work with, they'll often talk because I'm not emotionally connected to them so they'll, they'll they'll be happy to talk to me and they talk about the things that they're you know that, that it was really embarrassing and 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 they are there it's excruciatingly difficult for people sometimes to talk about stuff that they've done and and are wired to take risks so they're going to do it and they're going to make these mistakes and they're going to go head first into things without thinking about them 
And then they are going to be embarrassed at the end of it. And that, yes, just being able to say you did your best and it's, you know, it's everything's a learning experience, even the tough stuff. Yeah, I think, and this is another thing that I suspect will be different talking about young adults versus toddlers or teenagers that um, I think in some ways you have the, you may have the, the luxury of upholding the relationship above all else. Whereas like with your toddler, you may need to sometimes grab them and say, don't touch that ever again. (laughs) Uh, I I suspect that's true. But like with a young adult, you may have the luxury of saying to yourself above all else, make sure this relationship with this, with this young person in my life remains strong and they will make mistakes and they will have regrets and they will feel embarrassed. But the most important thing is that our relationship stays strong. I wonder if that's less true for much younger people where there's more of a responsibility mm-hmm. to protect them from harm's way. Yeah. And yeah, probably when, I mean, because obviously when you have a young adult, you've gone through that toddler, young child, <laughs> older child, teenage years as well with each of them. Um, but I think you're right. I think there's something that's really about supporting their own right to make rubbish decisions for themselves my own kids know that no matter what I'll always be there whatever they do it doesn't matter and that's the other lovely thing about having young adults is you have these amazing young people who have opinions and um, and they run their lives and there's sort of a sense of you know and, and they manage really well you know a lot of the time it's it's really great I was with my own kids this weekend and, and you know I was out with my eldest daughter and she was like, no, mom, I've got this. And it's just this lovely sort of symbiosis that's really, ch- you're not, you, you're, you're meeting each other as, as, as people, as adults. And you get to, and, and, and most people I know with, with young adults really like them. They, they really like their own kids generally. <laughs> and it's lovely yeah. to have that, that type of relationship. It's, to, it's a delight. It's a delight mm-hmm. sitting around the dinner table, having adult conversations and getting to know their opinions and views and, my kids have taken me to task a few times. I mean, I, I was just reminded of was um, going with my youngest daughter and she asked me to go in with her to the doctor's surgery um, for a sort of bit of moral support. And I went into the GP surgery with her and I couldn't help myself. I just completely took over. <laughs> and I just like, you know, and she was so mad that, you know, she was kindly mad because she's not, you know, but she was so mad that, you know, that, I can't that she I didn't let her speak for herself or or I'm or I'm telling someone she's with me and I'm telling someone or you know I start and I've, I'm really I've really had to catch myself not to do this like I'll start telling all about their lives you know and like be like a slightly gloaty you know proud mum you know and I have to stop myself from doing it allow them to speak for themselves it's so easy to speak for your children. So when the doctor said she was when my youngest daughter was 16, so, you know, she was like, I'm not going in with the doctor's surgery again with you because I can just manage this fine. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> you should definitely not take me in again. Yeah. Well, it's, no, it's such a great story. And I, I think about, you know, my, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, 21, away from home, living in another state and just, so insistent 
that I didn't need anyone's help and I could do everything on my own and I'm not calling home for that. And I was, I was stubborn about it until, <laughs> until I was walking down the street in New York city thinking I'm Miss Independent, living on my own in New York. Um, and a stranger on the street flicked his cigarette and the ash went in my eye and I panicked. And with my one good eye still working, managed to call my mom like she could do anything about it. <laughs> I called my mom who lives in another state she probably panicked because I never really called. So she must have been like, something's wrong. She answered with that voice of what's wrong. And I was standing on the street in New York City saying, mom, somebody flicked their ash into my eye and I can't see. And as I'm saying the words, you know, it's tearing, it's coming out. I was fine. I was fine. Yeah. Like in two seconds, I was yeah. fine. Yeah. But I thought to myself, you can insist all you want that you need no one's help and you're independent and building your own life. But when things get scary, you do yeah. know who to call. Yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of two quick stories, Kate, if I can tell you, mm -hmm. and both of them were regards to my, my older, older daughter. One was when she was doing, she was in the States and she was traveling. She was doing, um, she was over there uh, uh, doing a, a, a year of university there and she was traveling and she was, I think she was in Florida, no, Texas. She was in Texas. They were traveling across. She was in Texas. And it's three in the morning over here. And my phone rings. And I'm, I, 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 one of the things I always do, because none of my kids live at home anymore, is I always say to them, my phone is always on. And, 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 and I sometimes regret that, but because then I get texts and other things coming in and it disturbs my sleep. But I, I do it. But it was like three in the morning and my phone rang and it was one of her friends in America and she, and she has asthma. And she said, she's having an asthma attack. What do we do? And, and, and so from however many, what, nearly 3000 miles away. Oh God. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, so, in, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, you need to call whatever the amount, is it 911 or whatever it is over there. But in the meantime, we have to keep her calm. And I said, so they were in like a somewhere. I said, is there like somewhere where you can get like a, a paper bag and a, and, a, and a straw or something? Or a, a straw in a cup or a paper bag. And they did, they got it. And <laughs> I was just on the phone getting her to breathe and into this really calm voice and out, <laughs> two, three, four. And we're breathing in. And just, but there was like three of them with her. And the first thing they did was call her mom. I'm thinking about how you said, you know, you, you look at your young adults and you know they're adults, but you still in some ways see them as a little kid. And, and I, I'm only for the first time realizing that may, that, that feeling may go both ways. And, and let me just explain what I mean. When I'm walking down the street in New York City and I'm scared, you know, I, I think it's, it's designed into me, it's built into me that safety and comfort is home and mom and dad are home. And so we just, we just reach out in that way and we can tell ourselves in our brains, I'm an adult. I can figure this out. I'm resourceful, but there's something else that takes over that kind of overcomes your brain and says, I want my mom right now. Um, and actually a lot of my friends who have become parents 
told me that upon holding their baby for the first time, they felt like, I want my mom right now. Um, when, when you're scared and you're realizing I am the mom, it's like, someone called my mom. <laughs> and, I, and I'm starting to realize that that feeling of being connected to one another really goes both ways. It's not just parents see their 22-year-olds as their little kids. I think 22-year-olds still see their parents, whether they want to admit it or not, as my protector, my, my guiding light. Um, and, and the young adults may just be slower to admit it, which is why I'm 37 and only realizing this right now. Um, we may just be slower to admit it, but I think, I think there's something about that attachment that, um, especially if the attachment is strong, it carries with us long into adulthood. For sure. I mean, I remember being, when I was a young adult and going, like when I was at university and going home and like my parents would like make me food parcels to take back to the you know to university with me and I sort of you know I I look forward to that that you know them picking me up them just being being mum and dad you know and having that sort of and like and like like it's coming up to Christmas and I've been decorating the house and and they're looking forward to come home in the traditions of Christmas and I think that's the other thing which is really interesting I don't know if you can speak from your experience when you have these young adults so they're being trying to be independent people running their own lives and then they come home and they sort of they do start into being kids again to some extent mm-hmm. and that can be a bit of a minefield to navigate around you know like mom mm-hmm. can you do can you do my washing and I'm like but you've got a washing machine in your own house where you live how comes I have to do it you know it's those sorts of things or and, and then and then you might say, oh, you're going out. What time you'll be back? And it's like, why are you asking me what time I'm coming home? You know, I live my own life. So it sort of works both ways, really, as you navigate back into the family unit, like over the holidays. I don't know if that's been your, you can, you can yeah. recall on that one, Kate. Yeah, I'm nodding along because I, I wouldn't want to be the parent in that situation because your, your, your young adult children will so, show you little signs that they want to be like childhood again. And then when you lean into that as the parent, they'll close that door right away. Um, and I'm sure I'm guilty of that when I go home for the holidays and I want to watch the old childhood Christmas movies that we used to watch when I was six years old. And let's get blankets and sit on the couch and watch those movies that we used to watch. But yes, then if they ask me a question about my personal life, it's like, that, that was not on the agenda. <laughs> I, you can't ask me those questions about my personal life. I just want to watch movies and feel like I'm six years old um, until, until you make me feel like I'm six years old, then, then it's upsetting. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't envy anyone who has to navigate that. I'm sure it's a, it's a big pain in the neck for all involved. <laughs> I'm sure whoever's listening, if they, if they experience this, will be sort of nodding and sort of smiling and laughing their way through that because it's so true that, you know, that whole sort of trying to, you know, are they, you know, are they being the child? And the expectations, like, you know, if you haven't done something like particularly the holidays that you normally do, is, which is a tradition, which is their childhood tradition, you know, that, that's another example of that. They'll be cross that that's not happening, even though, you're like, you're 26 now. I think we yeah. don't need to. You know? <laughs> I, I am guilty again. That like, if, I, if I went home for the holidays and they said, oh, well, we're not going to have that particular 
cake that we usually make, I would be like, well, but we've always had it. Um, <laughs> now I am learning that if those things really matter to me, I have to be willing to make the cake. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm learning. Or take the cake. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm learning that if it's really that important, then it has to probably become my responsibility. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but I think we're, we're all navigating that, 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 you know, the, the, uh, you know, someone in their early twenties coming home from the holidays may not realize that now some of these traditions that they used to just enjoy, now they become a part of carrying them on. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, you know, Judith, when this, when this actually gets released, it'll be long after the holidays, but mm-hmm. you and I are recording this kind of near the Christmas time holidays. And, uh, I've been thinking about the people in our lives who put all the work in to keeping those traditions alive. And some of us just show up and enjoy them. You know, it's just, <laughs> I just get to enjoy this every year. And, and we forget that someone else is putting in the work to make that tradition continue to go on. And, um, and so uh, that may yeah. be a little off topic of what we're talking about, but it is something I've been thinking about. But it is the parents invariably or that, that, that type of person who that, you know, and it's very comforting, isn't it? It's very comforting. And then you get to my age in life and then your mum, you know, your mum comes and you become, you know, the parent of, you know, the older generation as well, it, it, it all shifts. But, and, and the other thing I think is I learned quite early on, and I think this really applies to um, parenting young adults, is you don't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I, I did learn that early on because as a parent, when you've got that little baby in your arms, you want everything to be perfect. You know, everything <coughs> in, in terms of making, you know, it has to all be exactly like it is on the films and of course it isn't because life is messy but the overall impression is what what is good enough what is good enough that you can bring your children up to become these independent people who have their own views who make their own mistakes who have their own messy lives but pick themselves up and are kind to others and are good people uh, and that's that's really what you're really trying to do. And it will never be perfect, but it can be good enough. I think that is a really helpful perspective. Um, I imagine that there will be some people listening to this, Judith, who are parents. Maybe they do not yet have young adults. Maybe they have teenagers. Um, and again, I'm doing a lot of imagining as someone who's not a parent <laughs> myself. But I also imagine that when you have teenagers, you probably do a lot of um, nitpicking things like we got to get out of the house on time. Um, You've got to get your homework done. That grade in your math class needs to come up and needs to be a higher grade. Did you fill out those college applications yet? You have to fill out those applications. And, And I imagine there's a part of raising a teenager that is about getting on them about all these things. And what you're describing is this lovely time of life where we can just remember, uphold your relationship is the most important thing. Mistakes will happen and good enough is good enough. Mm-hmm. And, and there is no need to repeat the behavior that you did as a parent when maybe your children were 14, 15 years old. There, there can be a shift in the way that you help them or support them or, or work with them 
there can be and probably needs to be a shift where you can take a step back and just keep in mind the big things in life that are most important, not did they leave the house on time and did their shoes match their shirt or whatever, you know, like we can kind of let those things go. Um, and, 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 and very likely everybody will be a lot happier when we do. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess we learn to be good guides for our kids eventually, but you have to go through a lot of all of what you've just described in order to get there. Yeah. Um, and you just have to buckle up and hold on tight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that's excellent advice um, <laughs> that like be prepared, you know, wear your helmet because there's going to be some hits, <laughs> hopefully not literal ones, but yeah. you know, some hits. Yeah. Um, thank you for that, Judith. You know, and, and this has been wonderful. Is there anything that you didn't get the chance to say that you really wanted to say? No, apart from, I suppose, Kate, the only thing I'm thinking as I'm sitting here and I suddenly think about all the young people that I work with is not everyone has this, not everyone has this this experience in life um you know people people's families can be really different people have really different people come from really different backgrounds and have really different situations so I know that I'm just mindful that this is I've been really fortunate personally and I, and I hope everyone that listens to the podcast feels that way too but I am I am really I do really recognize that not everybody has this what I've been talking about the luxury of being able to have this journey yeah. Um, and to come out through the other side of it um, um, is a real, it really is a luxury. It's a privilege, Kate, actually, is mm -hmm. how I feel about it. At this point, I'm just going to shift some gears here and hear from our, our resident father, our person who we have on the podcast representing dads out there, um, my good friend, Peter. Peter, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Thanks, Kate. Um, my name is Peter Reeves. I live in North Carolina, and I have um, four kiddos. Uh, I have an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, and twins who are four and a half. Um, and then um, I, I do a bunch of different things uh, professionally, but sort of my main gig is um, I work at a university working with other young adults um, who are struggling with drug and alcohol use. And so... Um, that's different than a parental relationship, but you know, it's about behavior change with young folks. So yeah, not, not so different in some ways. So you're kind of surrounded by opportunities to, to witness people, I guess, growing up, struggling with growing up, probably making a lot of mistakes. Um, and one yeah. thing I suspect, and I'm just using the word suspect because I'm not a parent myself, but um, I suspect that when you witness young people growing up and making a lot of decisions that you would not make for yourself, it can be a really tough position to be in. Mm. And thinking about in particular, your, your older kids who are, you know, able to go out into the world and, and make a lot of decisions that may not be the ones you would make. Um, I guess I'll start with like, <laughs> how do you cope with that? Yeah. What do you um, drink? <laughs> <laughs> whiskey. Lots of whiskey. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you nailed it. It's um, that people describe parenting as um, watching your heart live outside your body. And, mm. um, and yeah, th that's it. And watching your heart get into a car 
um, or get into a car to head off to spring break with a bunch of other underdeveloped frontal lobes um, or, you know, go to a uh, fill in the blank concert at who knows when and then driving back, uh, you know, there's so many, there's so much that yes, it, it is um, really scary and hard and and we're wired like that, right? I mean, well, obviously yeah. you agree um, that we want to, we want to like wrap them in bubble wrap, put a helmet on them or, or just say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's hard to watch. I often say when you care so much about another person, it can lead to some desperate behavior. Yeah. And, and sometimes it means parents behaving badly. Sometimes, uh, you know, in your work, it may be, um, you know, counselors or university staff behaving badly, but sometimes our hearts are so invested in the well-being of someone else that we take desperate measures to try to keep people safe. And those desperate measures are sometimes not us at our best. Yeah. And that, that's just something that I find that I know I constantly have to look in the mirror and recalibrate there. Um, and um, so I constantly have to check myself. Um, and one thing that and I don't remember where I heard this, but one piece of advice that I got that has just been invaluable is um, asking them the questions. Um, are you, are you, do you just want me to listen? Mm. or do you want my advice or are you asking me to get involved Mm. and and when I can ask them that question up front when I'm when I'm aware enough to do that because I don't always do that but when I'm aware enough to do that then I can meet their needs yeah you know um and I can I can meet them where they're coming from without sort of trespassing right off the bat well and what you're doing is acknowledging that like fundamental idea that like what feels helpful isn't always what is helpful. And so you're asking what, what actually is helpful because your guts might say the most helpful thing to do is to save this person, rescue them, you know, wrap them in a swaddle, uh, chain them to their bed. So they can't go to that concert and drive home drunk. Um, that may be what your instincts say are, is sometimes the most helpful thing. But if you ask the person, you know what I was thinking, um, I'm thinking back to when I was a young adult and my parents would get like way overly involved in things that I really felt I could handle. And I probably didn't have the words for it then, but I, I think the feeling was nobody trusts me. Nobody trusts me. And I wonder if there's some way to ask young adults. I don't have to wonder. I mean, I guess the question is there, like, how trusted do you feel tonight? when you go to the concert and, you know, you're driving home, how, how trusted do you feel? Yeah. Um, and like, what would a young person even do with that? I don't know. Cause no one's ever asked me that question. <laughs> um, but maybe something to play with there. You know, I'm going to try that tonight. Please I have an, oppor- I have an opportunity tonight. Cause there was a, there was a failure of communication tonight. And um, you know, there were, there was a good chunk of time where I didn't know where, um, my 16 year old was, and mm. it, it, and it didn't feel good. Um, and so, 
you know, we're, we're going to reset tonight. And um, I'm grateful to be having this conversation because I bet it's going to be a more intentional conversation than it might have been otherwise. Only trying to help, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I've been asking a lot of parents lately is like, I suspect in your role as a parent, you find some things work really well, some things don't work so well. So what do you have for us? Like, what are your reflections on trying to be helpful to a young person who may be struggling or facing a challenge or not doing so well? Mm. Um, so I, I think that um, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. So reflective listening is, is critical. Um, and it keeps me from offering unsolicited advice when I'm just listening and reflecting. And the other thing that it does, as we know, is it evokes more information from your, your young person, um, young adult who, you know, typically they're not just dying to tell their parents everything. Um, so, but I think before that, it requires creating opportunities for conversation. Um, and two things that I've found, number one, we do try to get them around the dinner table and actually sit down and eat as so tempting as busy we all are to, you know, just grab something, go sit down keep working, whatever. We really try to sit down and have meals mm -hmm. and it's like, they can't even help themselves. They just start talking. Um, and then other opportunities for that riding in the car where you're not looking at each other. Um, if you can get them on a walk, you know, Hey, let's take the dogs out or something. And that, but if you can get walking where you're not looking at each other, it sort of reduces some of that awkwardness. You're making such a great point about like physical space and like placement of bodies and where they go and where yeah. you're facing. And, and I think therapists pay attention to this a little bit, but like everyday people don't really that, that the idea of when you're driving or walking, you don't have that intense stare down because you're right. looking at something else. Um, that's an important point that I hope sinks in for people. I also think thinking about height, you know, like not standing over, like I can think of times where I was like sitting on my bed as a 18 year old and my mom came in towering over me, standing over the bed to like yell at me about something and it, it doesn't feel good to be like so much lower than a person like no sit down and be face to face or staring in the same direction but like at least on equal playing field i think those things matter yeah you know who is a master at that fred rogers oh uh, he, he would get down you know on his knees to talk to a kid and yeah. I, I remember that and, and it really impacted me. And I remember the adults in my life who, A, didn't talk to me like I was a kid, but B, got on my level to talk to me, you know, you hey, know Fred, Fred Rogers and Carl Rogers. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they were the Rogers brothers. They I know not. it would have been so good. That just that's that's too bad. It didn't work out that way. Um. You know, even as a, a speaker and trainer, um, like, let's say I'm in like a big room where we're like, I hardly ever need a microphone, but if I do need a microphone and I'm doing Q and A and people are asking questions, I come out 
with the microphone and hand it to people, but I squat down and I let them stand up and I let them kind of be taller than everybody when they ask their question. But I like get down in the aisle and it seems like such a good idea until they have a long winded question and I'm in pain. But then you have a natural way of sort of um, hinting at them that it might be time to stop by, you know, slowly standing up or quickly standing up. I usually stand up, grab the microphone and say, I'm out of shape. Um, So (laughs) I can't squat any longer. Your story has to end. Um, My thighs really hurt. Uh, But thank you. Thank you for your contribution. Humor, humor to the rescue. Um, No, but I think that's a really good point that you're making about walking or driving. Um, you know, you, you also said, Peter, kind of like quickly and in passing, but, uh, you said, you know, your teenagers usually aren't dying to talk to you. I think they seem that way. Um, and, and I wonder if, if maybe they're dying to talk to someone though, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so that's a really interesting thing is, um, hearing your kid talk and FaceTime FaceTime has created this opportunity for parents to hear through a door, through the wall, um, what it sounds like when your kid is like hanging out with their friends. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So they'll be like the way they interact and then they'll go close their door and get on a FaceTime call. And it's just like, you know, this just like effervescent, um, the volume goes up the it it's it's a really interesting phenomenon and um, I actually had a a client recently um, something that I do that I didn't mention is um, I work part-time in an integrated care practice so it's a it's a family medicine practice but I'm a I'm a behavioral health clinician and um, the doctors can page us into the room if somebody's having trouble. So this particular um, situation, it was a mom who's really worried about her daughter. And um, she said, yeah, she's, she's 12 now. And when she comes home from school, she just goes in her room and closes the door. And in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, she's 12. Um, <laughs> you've got about six or seven more years of that Um, (laughs) but I didn't want to minimize this mom's concern and I also didn't want to like miss something if there was a there there and so um I said well what does she do when she goes in her room and closes the door she said oh she's facetiming her friends I was like can you hear it and she was like yeah I can't make out what they're saying but I can I can hear it and I said how does she sound Mm -hmm. and she said she sounds like she's having so much fun in there and I was like then I feel pretty good about it, you know? Yeah. And then, and then I talked about the, the dinner opportunities, the driving opportunities, the walking opportunities, the same things we just talked about. Um, yeah. These are things I really don't know. So my questions are, are totally innocent questions. Like, like as parents, should the goal be, wow, I want my kid to sound that happy to talk to me <laughs> or or is it more like, I just want my kid to be happy and it doesn't have to be me. 
I, I'm I'm playing with this a little bit because yeah. I don't have kids, but I'm imagining, I don't know, it's like a sad scene I'm imagining, like a mom at the door of her kid's bedroom, hearing her child so happy on the other side and feeling like, why can't you sound that happy with me? Yeah. Um, and and I, and we don't have to get into what should parents be concerned about. Yeah, stop about. shooting on me. Boston. I won't sh- I won't shoot on you anymore, but I guess I'm I'm wondering what your thought is. Like is there any value? Uh, you you touched something there. You know, um uh yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um So it's the natural arc of parenthood and it's I think it's as hard to come to grips with as our own mortality that when your child is born, you know, they, yeah. When your child is born, they look at you with just love and they need you for everything. And like my four and a half year old, both of them will just look at me and be like, I love you so much, (laughs) you know? And I've um, had wine, so I'm tearing up. <laughs> no, it's it's so sweet, right? And 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 that's that's the good stuff. Um, and then you know, they get older and it is the way it's supposed to work that yeah. that changes and they need you less, and it is, doesn't make it the, that fact doesn't make it easier. Um and one of the things I really struggle with in my day job at the university is helping parents and students understand that it's okay that their relationship has changed. Mm. Um, and, and I get a lot of students who are self-medicating parental relationships that, you know, they, they're carrying guilt or the, the you know, one or the other or both just aren't willing to move on from mom and dad take care of everything or mom and dad are in charge. And now you're living thousands of miles away from or hundreds of miles away from or tens of miles away, but they're not in charge anymore. They're not there. And um, my kids do have to have experiences where I'm no longer the center of their universe because you know, I mean, one of them is in college now and in three years, she'll be out of college and, you know, doing whatever kids who graduate do. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't think it's fair to say, I want my kid to talk to me the way that they talk to their friends on FaceTime. And yet I think there's something really natural about that feeling. And it's something that we need to check and I love that you named it yeah I guess it's about it's you know it's normal to want your kid to light up and be excited to talk to you the way they are on FaceTime with their friends and part of the job is getting some acceptance that it it may not happen the way that you had imagined or the way that you had wanted um, we can't end on that note, Peter. So <laughs> we, we, need, we need some other thing that leaves people feeling hopeful. Like, like, you know, imagine the parent who's listening now who has like an eight-year-old and they're thinking, oh, that's what's around the corner for me. Yeah. So I guess like, what are some of the joys of having young adults, like a, a daughter in college? You know, what's, what, what lights mm-hmm. you up about that? You're making a face um, like, like you want to say nothing at all. <laughs> nothing at all. It's 
garbage. <laughs> Just sell them when they turn 10. Um, no. Um, so I'll tell you one thing that has really helped me mm-hmm. um, is I brought it just to show you. Oh, There's cool. a book called, and I'll read you the subtitle because it's like one of the best titles ever. Get out of my life, but first, could you drive me and Cheryl to the mall? Oh my God, that is the best title. Right? Get out of my life, but first, could you drive me and Cheryl to the mall? Yes. Um, and it's by Anthony E. Wolf, PhD, um, who's a psychologist. And um, the, the, for me, the value of this book, it, it, was, um, it was just so validating that, um, that the way that I was interacting with my, at that time, you know, maybe 11 and 13 year old is, I mean, they're the same conversations that everybody's having. And, um, and so I didn't have to go it alone. So, um, to answer your question, I, I think another just magical thing about, about parenthood is, you know, just as your baby taking their first steps means that you're ending a really special, magical chapter, um, but who isn't super stoked when their kid takes their first steps, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, I mean... In, in some ways that's what it's about. And I'm an adventurer, you know, I like being out in the wilderness and climbing mountains and seeing what's around the next corner. And that's what this is with mm-hmm. parenting. It's just a different type of, of adventure. And I, I had no idea that in some ways I knew exactly how my kids were going to turn out. And in other ways, I had no idea how they were going to turn out. And it's, it's so fun getting to know them all over again um, as they progress through these phases that don't have any, you know, discrete beginning or end. And, you know, we're both feeling our way through it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's cool. I believe you. I I mean that I might've sounded a little sarcastic, but I believe, (laughs) I believe you that it is cool. And I, I can't speak from the parent side, but I have been a child and I'm 37 now, so I don't qualify as a young adult anymore. And I haven't for a while, but, <laughs> but even though, even though I'm in my late thirties, I spend time with my parents and I kind of like showing them new sides of me that maybe they didn't see before yeah. or things that maybe always existed, but, but I, I can show it to them in a new way. And I think this idea that, you know, parenting a a four-year-old is different than parenting a 15-year-old and it's different than parenting a 25-year-old you know it might also be different than your child at 37 who's you know still discovering things about themselves Um, a few people have recommended to me that we do an episode called um, parenting my kids who have kids Um, because I think that's a whole other thing like when your kids become parents, probably that writing reflex kicks in a lot. Like, don't do it this way. Don't do it that way. But yes. I guess we'll save that for another day. And I will just, I will just add my vote because uh, that's that thing is real. And then, and then after that episode, you can do uh, parenting up, parenting your parents. That has also been suggested. Parent, parenting my aging parents. Yeah. Uh, yeah. like who just won't use the walker that the doctor told them they need to use and you just want to scream at them. 
well, use the and, damn walker. <laughs> and you know, it, in so many ways, it's the same thing. It, it is. It is so hard. I've been doing a ton of work on this with myself. It, my parents, as they age, are still adults, and they they get to choose. And if my parent is unstable on their feet and they are aware of that and it results in them falling and injuring themselves, but they would rather do that than walk with a walker. I don't have to like it, but it isn't my right to change that, you know, and, and, and that's really tough. Interesting how this just chases us through all the developmental years. It really does. Yeah. Maybe next time I'll just have uh, Eric Erickson's ghost come on.